0: Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the science of sexology, a bit of its history and philosophical tradition, the sweep of its technical coverage, and why it's an important discipline with much relevance to our achieving the contentment and satisfaction that can come with deep human connections. We'll also touch on some of the reasons that sexology is still viewed as a controversial field of study by some in our society. We'll explore that theme more deeply in future posts. So let's start with a little bit of history. The science of sexology is dedicated to the scientific study of human sexuality in all of its aspects. It's a very young science, a fledgling that is still in the process of working its way out of the nest, in the process of earning its legitimacy. That youth, though, does not diminish the importance of the field. Sexology didn't exist as a science until the 19th century. Prior to that point in time, human sexuality was mainly the purview of religion, It was a subject that was viewed as a matter for moral scrutiny and control. Western religious views of sexuality have tended to be preoccupied by sexual pathology, fetishes, masturbation and homosexuality, a very negative perspective. In contrast, sexology views sex as a subject that's appropriate for scientific study, The goals of sexology have been to understand and therefore to normalize sexual behavior as a fundamental part of a complete life, with an eye to correcting possible sexual impediments, and to expanding the enrichment that sex can bring to life. That's a much more positive perspective to apply to the important sexual side of our humanity. Of course, a perspective that revolves around concepts such as sin and a jaundiced view of the human body leads inquirers to very different places than does a perspective that tries to understand how the miracle of the human body works and how the sexual dimension of our existence plays into the human mind, emotions, and spirituality. The early pioneers of sexology, such as Richard von Kraft-Ebbing and Sigmund Freud, had a fairly negative view of human sexuality. They focused on sex as a potential source of problems and of turmoil in life, posing dangers that called for sexual repression. Later researchers, such as Havelock Ellis, Alfred Kinsey, William Masters and Virginia Johnson, and later contributors, have painted sexuality in a much more positive light. These later researchers subscribe to a creed that includes the following beliefs. First, sexual expression is essential to an individual's well-being. Second, sexual expression and activities legitimately span a broad range of activities and preferences, including homosexuality. And third, female sexuality is as important, valuable, and complex as is male sexuality. In contemporary society, many or most of us can resonate with the preceding beliefs, even if there is widespread hesitancy to state such beliefs publicly. Up until the 1960s, Sex was studied mainly from a medical perspective. In fact, it's not until the most recent few decades that a turn away from the medicalization of sex has taken place. In part, this early orientation was a reflection of the fact that most early researchers were physicians and psychologists or psychiatrists. In addition, those who sought to treat sex on a scientific footing needed to focus on phenomena that could be catalogued and measured in ways that were familiar to the other sciences of the day. This medicalization tendency persists to this day. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM, which was first published in 1952 and which guides mental health practitioners, still contains diagnostic entries that treat some probably normal mental conditions as pathological conditions. DSM is currently in its fifth edition, DSM-5, Homosexuality was not removed from the classification as a pathology until dsm 3 in 1973. We'll be focusing on the seminal contributions of Masters and Johnson in a later post. Those researchers contributed greatly to our understanding of how the human sexual response cycle, or SRC, works. Masters and Johnson's work provided a foundation for later work, including my own EMP model of the sexual response cycle. Subsequent work, broadened our understanding of how sex works, especially for women. It's worth noting that one of the biases of the medicalization era of sexology was to avoid any serious investigation of female sexuality, partly out of realization of how important the hard-to-measure non-physiological aspects of sexuality are for many women, and partly out of bias that men were the only legitimate objects of investigation. So let's consider some current directions for sexology. Sexology research continues at institutions such as the Kinsey Institute and the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality, or QUAD-S. Sadly, another of the leading lights in sexology, the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, or IASHS, in San Francisco, where I studied, no longer exists. It fell victim to political tensions between itself and the state of California, providing an object lesson in what a fraught subject sex remains in contemporary society. Past and present surveys help maintain the pace of sexology research. The large-scale National Health and Social Life Survey of 1994 provided a fascinating look at American sexual behavior. The CDC conducts an annual Youth Risk Behaviour Survey that includes coverage of sexual behaviours. The National College Health Assessment also provides an annual perspective on sexual behaviour in a college environment. The previously mentioned Society for Scientific Study of Sexuality holds regular conferences to present, peer review, and disseminate new sexology knowledge. The field is thriving. Since the late 1950s, much of the work in sexology has consisted of a course correction in which female sexuality has been the focus. Here are a few highlights. In 1979, the pioneering sex therapist Helen Singer Kaplan produced a model of the sexual response cycle which emphasized how important the emotions and mental state are to stoking desire, with sexual arousal then resulting from that desire. Also that year, Gina Ogden produced a model in which emotions and subjective arousal could produce not only potentially multiple orgasms, but also an ecstatic state in which sex could become a spiritual experience. Dr. Rosemary Basson has shown that many factors at play in female sexual response are not related to one another in a fixed, rigid sequence, but that they can interact in complex, non-sequential ways. Among other things, Basson has underscored that female sexual arousal can arise in response to stimulation, not just spontaneously. In 2005, my dissertation advisor produced a MEBES model in which mind, emotions, body, energy, and spirituality all play a role in the sexual response cycle. Of course, many of these findings are also relevant to male sexuality. There are both similarities and differences in the generalized male and female response cycles. As a sexologist, I'm heartened to see research continuing to broaden from a largely male-centric viewpoint. Let's keep going. So, what does all this research mean? Why spend time reviewing highlights of this young field of sexology? My personal perspective is that sex is a fundamental facet of our humanity. In spite of that importance, though, sex is very much an embattled topic in America. For a fascinating, though somewhat depressing, read on that topic, I recommend the book The War on Sex in America by the well-known American sexologist Marty Klein. There are entrenched and very powerful social forces that are making every attempt to keep sexuality as a taboo topic, one to be assiduously avoided in polite conversation. Those forces, chiefly various religious and governmental organizations, portray sex as a shameful and dangerously powerful, distracting or even corrupting influence in life, an influence that needs to be confined to a purely reproductive role. Of course, pleasure has no role in such a worldview. As someone who was raised in a conservative, strict, and dogmatic Catholic family, I have come full circle in my views on sexuality. stint in a seminary helped me conclude that I've never seen human physicality as an inherently detrimental or even evil influence. If anything, I've concluded that our sexuality is a wonderful gift through which we humans are able to connect with one another more deeply and soulfully than is possible in the best of conversations. I subscribe to the view that pleasure is a precious human birthright. That view is one of the central tenets of sexology. I'm a big proponent of sex-positive social groups such as the Empowered Pleasure and the Sex Positive Portland meetups in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. As a counterbalance to the funky social programming that I believe most Americans receive, I enjoy working with such groups to provide a safe haven and a supportive community in which individuals can discuss and explore the many aspects of sensuality, sexuality, and intimacy. I also work to create seminars in which people can do this exploration in greater depth. My hope is that I can do my little bit to help support those who wish to grow in their understanding of their full humanity. I believe that as adults we all have the option of rechoicing, that is of reconsidering our guiding beliefs, attitudes and aspirations so that we can discard those that no longer serve us in favor of those that do. The resulting process of personal liberation returns the power of personal choice to individuals where I, for one, firmly believe it belongs. We each need to have the power to pick our own course through life, rather than living in service of others' desires and dictates. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com and the Two Open Doors Facebook group. Finally, I invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors.